Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast, where each week we talk with shelter employees and agents from around the country to find out what's going on, to hear the stories that might otherwise go untold, and to connect you more closely with why you are an important part of making it all happen for our customers and communities. Let's take a look at what's going on Behind the Shield. Welcome, everybody, to another episode. I'm your host, Douglas Jones, and alongside me is our producer, Brad Johnson. And here's the rundown of what we have in store for you. You asked for it, and we're bringing it to you. It's spring, and it's not just Brad's allergies that are kicking into high gear, but almost all of us are getting outside more and jumping into our gardens, yards, and going to buy some flowers and shrubs. But we asked you to send us your questions recently. We had dozens of them roll in from agents and employees all across our operating territory, wanting expert advice from Shelter's Superintendent of Grounds. But before we get to your questions, we have a couple of people that we need to thank who both happen to work in SBMI. And for those of you that are new to the company, that's SBMI is Shelter's HR department. Uh, A few months ago, we received a suggestion from Stephanie Mallory asking about a way for us to allow listeners to ask questions. And so this episode is a first step to that process. And so we're looking forward to doing some more episodes like this. But uh, our other shout out to help us kind of further hone that idea is Catherine Elliott for suggesting this particular gardening topic. Brad and I talked about this idea uh, before amongst ourselves, but once Catherine suggested it, we knew we needed to get off the dime and just have Katrina come on and join us again this year. So thanks to Stephanie and Catherine for your suggestions. We appreciate it. And for the rest of you listening, if you ever have any ideas you want to throw our way, we will be sharing the details of how you can do that at the end of the show. So let's get on to your uh, yard and gardening questions. So Katrina Monig, thanks for joining us again today. Thank you for having me. All right. So Katrina, for those of you that, that may not have listened to that particular episode, she was on the podcast talking about the history of shelter gardens and grounds um, all the way back in episode 20. So um It's been quite a while since you were on and we're glad to have you back. And just so uh, a a quick note for those of you that enjoyed Shelter History Month last year, uh, we did that series and it was very well received. So we're going to be doing a new set of those again in June. So be sure to listen in. Okay, Katrina, we've got a whole list of questions for you uh, and not one of them involves pickles this time. So uh, remember, you were not. I know a, that answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are not a fan of pickles. So, no. <laughs> all right, but you are a fan of plants, we know, yeah. and an expert on them as well. So we've broken these down kind of in a category. So the first category is weeds. All right. So okay. Stephanie Mallory from uh, SBMI and Home Office says, "What is the best way you know of to reduce or remove weeds or other invasive plants without hurting the surrounding botanicals?" The best way of removing weeds without chancing is digging them up, pulling them by hand. They have herbicide, but if there's any bit of wind, it's going to get to your other plants. All right. So no easy way out on that one. No. All right. April Sherman, Home Office Document Services. What is the best defense against against Creepy Charlie, a creeping vine that runs across the top of the soil and has taken over her yard? Again, you could pull it. The problem with a ground cover is if any roots break off, they will come back. So the best way for that is a spray. There is an organic spray you can mix. It's a gallon of vinegar, a cup and a half of salt, and two tablespoons of dish, Dawn dish soap. You can spray that. But again, if that gets on any other plants, it will kill it. 
but with a ground cover, you're going to have to spray it. Okay, so now we're to bugs and pests. And this one's from Lauren Padiparu, uh, Home Office Information Services. She sees different types of snakes in her yard and has tried planting marigolds and mint in the yard and even sprayed castor oil. And I've, I've not heard of any of those approaches, but she's not having luck with uh, getting rid of the snakes. Do you have any ideas? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> I live out in the country. I hate snakes. I can't stand them. People say, and I know this is true, the black snakes are helpful. They're very territorial and they will keep the bad snakes away. So if you can stand them, keep your black snakes around. I, again, don't like snakes, especially around my house. There is ortho snake be gone and different repellents you could put down. I had not heard about the marigolds or mint or the castor oil myself, but I did Google it and that is listed. Also lemongrass is listed. Lemongrass also repels mosquitoes. So I would try that too. So for the lemongrass, we're talking about growing lemongrass, right? Yep. Yep, okay. plant in your yard. All right. So Catherine Elliott uh, from SBMI asks, what are the best bug resistant and drought tolerant plants for the Missouri area? Any native plant. And you can Google it. Um, natives are grown for here. They like the dry. They like the hot conditions that we have. If you want um, annuals, it'd be marigolds, lantana, Perennials, coneflower, black-eyed Susans, Shasta daisies, things like that. Okay. Jeanette Cunningham from Internal Auditing. She has lots of plants that she overwinters in her heated garage with grow lights. And this winter, she noticed that several of her potted plants were infested with pill bugs. So is there any way to get rid of those without having to repot everything? You can use uh, insecticide or there is a organic, it's 3% hydrogen peroxide. You mix one part of that and three parts of water. Water your plant with it. So it will kill the bugs, but also provides oxygen to the soil, which will help promote the root growth. Otherwise, repot them. Okay. Okay, so this category, these questions are around the health of plants and grass. So Sarah Waldrop from, uh, she's an agent representative in Springfield, Tennessee. She's having difficulties with her vegetable plants. She's on a small lot with a slope, has lots of trees, and the soil isn't very good. So she's using a crate laid flat with good soil on it, but the plants there don't do as well as the tomatoes that she plants in the ground. Do you have any ideas how she can, how she can get better vegetable produce? She'll probably have to get her soil tested um, to find out what nutrients. If you don't want to go to that extent, get some compost till up some compost in there or fertilizer. I would do high nitrogen or phosphorus. Nitrogen will help the growth. Phosphorus will help the flowers to, for production. Okay. So uh, maybe a tip on uh, testing your soil. I know a lot of county extension agencies will do that for mm -hmm. you. Maybe a small fee, but um, they can do that if you don't have anyone around that can do it. Yep. Catherine Elliott, um, she's asking if a flowering tree or shrub isn't flowering anymore or flowering very much, what are some tips to help it do better? I would go get some fertilizer. They have tree stakes you can put in. High phosphorus helps with your flowers. So a lot of times that gets leached out in the soil. So I would just add some more phosphorus to it. Okay. Jeanette Cunningham's got a few more here. She has some crotons uh, and she's had them for a few years and hasn't been able to get them to grow very well. The plants are in pots outside during the summer and inside over the winter. So she's wondering how to get them to fill out better. Okay, so crotons, they are tropical plants but they do not like full sun. 
If you pull them out in full sun, they're not going to grow very good. They're not going to get very colorful. So I would do part shade. Um, you can do a high nitrogen fertilizer. You don't need phosphorus for those. When you move them in the winter, it is totally normal for them to drop their leaves and they'll just be sticks for quite a while, but the leaves will come back out. All right. And so she also has a triangle palm, um, says it's been doing very well and grows tall, but she's wondering if she needs to repot it every year with new soil and a bigger pot. I would say no, because eventually the pot's going to get too big to handle for the triangle palm. You can actually root prune the triangle palm. So take it out of the pot and then just take a shovel and take off the bottom two or three inches and then put some fresh dirt in there and put it right back in the pot. So I would repot every two or three years. Okay. She also has a queen Emma lily. She says it has, it had several rounds of beautiful flowers the first winter, but it hasn't produced any since then. How can she get it to flower again? Again, a fertilizer high phosphorus. They do their blooming stuff and then they stop for a while. Crinum lilies are also grown for foliage. They're mostly for foliage than flowers. They like full sun too. If they don't get enough sunlight, they won't bloom. This category of questions are around um, bulbs and replanting and grass patches. So Kay Fowler from Inglewood, Ohio, agent there. She recently built vegetable and flower boxes and even tilled the ground. So her question is, when does she start thinking about getting seedlings ready to plant once they're started? And uh, what, what time of year does she plant them? Um, I would wait until 1st of May to put anything outside. Unless it's a cool season vegetable plant, like peas, lettuce, carrots, those you can go ahead and get in the ground now. But I would wait till the chance of frost is over. So I usually don't plant anything outside until first week of May. Okay. Vicki Randall from Training uh, wants to know, does she really need to dig up her bulbs like tulips, hyacinths, daffodils, crocuses, and store those? Uh, if so, is there an easy way to do it? Or should she just plan on planting new bulbs every fall? Okay, so most of those, the hyacinths, daffodils, and crocus, they are perennial bulbs. They will come back every year. You do not need to dig those up. Um, tulips are iffy. You can plant them in the fall. They will come up in spring. Problem is, if you leave them in the ground, sometimes they'll come back. Sometimes they won't. If you dig them up, you need to wait till the foliage totally dies down. Otherwise, because all that energy goes back to the bulb. I've done that before and I've replanted the bulbs I dug up and they're still iffy and spindly and weak. So tulips, I would just replant every year, but the rest are perennial bulbs. They will come back on their own. Sarah Waldrop from Springfield, Tennessee. What bulbs are good to plant close to the foundation of a house? Any bulb. So any of the spring tulips, crocus, daffodils, they won't hurt your foundation. They will be totally fine. There is some summer bulbs or tubers like cannas. They've even been known to come back every year. They're not supposed to, but your foundation, your house will help insulate them. So no bulbs will ruin, they won't hurt your foundation at all. Okay. Amy Lucas from home office. What's the best time of year to plant grass if you have a bare patch? <clears throat> if you plant seed, the best time is September. You can plant it in the spring, but you have a lot of hard, heavy rains that could help wash it off. Um, so when we seed the grass at work, we do it in September. If you do it in spring or especially summer, you've got to water it a ton. And sod, if it's sod, you can do that anytime, even wintertime. 
there was North facilities in January, we put sod down and it's, we actually had to mow it yesterday. So it will be fine. Okay. Catherine Elliott asks, how do you keep your yard healthy and green throughout the year? If you don't mind the chemicals, I would start out by spraying the broadleaf herbicide. You'll kill all the weeds so you can have plenty of room for your grass. Fertilizer. At work, we do three to four applications of fertilizer throughout the whole year. And then in the fall, I would aerate it to get some oxygen into the ground and then seed it again, just overseed it. Doesn't have to be thick, just a little bit, just enough to thicken it up a little bit. Doug Bland from Shreveport, Louisiana, agent there, has red ears and azaleas that are still brown after a recent freeze and snow. And he hasn't seen any new growth on it. So should he trim the brown stuff to allow for new growth? I would check it before you trim. Check the limbs to see if they're flexible or not. If they're flexible, it's still alive, and I would wait to trim until the end of April. Give it time to bloom out. A lot of the shrubs like that will actually leaf out on old wood. You trim it back, you're going to be hurting it. If the limbs and the branches snap, it's dead, and you're just going to have to replace it. Nikki Bergendahl from Internal Auditing says her daylilies are popping out of the ground and they're even more than previous years. She wants to separate and relocate some of those. So is that best done in the spring or the fall? It's either one works. Fall is best because you will rip up some of the leaves. If you do it in the fall, then they're going to die back anyways for the winter. Spring, you can do it. Just water it. Make sure if it's not raining, you water them in. But it's pretty easy. I mean, you can even just take a shovel, cut them in half, and dig up half the clump. Okay. Adam Heitman, agent from Ellsbury, Missouri. He and his wife love hydrangeas and even have some at their office. Should he cut back the growth from last year or just let it grow out? I would wait. If he knows the variety of the hydrangea, you need to Google it. There's some varieties that are actually grown to be more compact. You don't need to prune them at all. There's some old-fashioned ones that get really tall. Yes, they need to be pruned. But again, like the zoya, a lot of them leaf out in the old wood. So I would wait until they start leafing out. We have some compacted ones in the garden that I did prune back just because they're next to a sidewalk and they were starting to overtake the sidewalk. So I pruned it just to keep it off the sidewalk. Okay. Nikki Bergendahl asks about a certain hosta that's in the shelter gardens. And so I'm going to go ahead and, and tell you, Nikki, <laughs> we were talking before we, before we play, pressed uh, recording. Why don't you catch Katrina sometimes? She's not sure which plant you're talking about in the garden that you, you're inquiring about what kind of hosta it is. So just catch her sometime and, and point it out to her and she can get you the info on it. Kat Dillon, agent from Bellevue, Nebraska, recently purchased a home and wants to plant a dwarf tree that's ornamental. And uh, she wants one that can take partial shade and late day full sun. She'd like something that's sort of exotic looking or maybe has an interesting looking bark. Do you have any suggestions for her? Yeah, there's different Japanese maples, some dogwoods or witch hazel. Um, Japanese maples, you have green leaves, red leaves, different colors of bark. Some are weeping, some are taller. Um, the dogwoods, they bloom, of course. There is a red leaf or a red twig dogwood that you could get. And there's variegated leaf dogwoods you can get. Witch hazel is a nice shrub and it blooms in February. So if you want something unique to add color early in the season, go with witch hazel. All right. Jeanette Cunningham, um, her yard faces north 
and has beds that are shaded by the house all day. What are some ornamental plants she could use to spruce up her totally shaded spots? I would again go with the Japanese maple and dogwood for trees. Shrubs, you can go with if you want just greenery, boxwoods. The red twig dogwoods can be shrub-like. Perennials, you have hellebores, which are evergreen, and they bloom in March. You have pulmonaria, blooms in March, and it has a cool foliage. You have lamiums, mm -hmm. which is a variegated ground cover. And there's several different perennials, too. Okay. All right. So these are just more general shelter questions. Um, and some of these are about the garden. So Marvin <clears throat> Boyer from uh, Agent from Ottumwa, Iowa, has a question about uh, whether plant starts are available for shelter folks with the huge variety. He's interested in knowing if he could take a small piece of the garden back to his state to let it grow. We usually don't do that. <laughs> right. um, a lot of people walking, if they see someone out there digging, then they will start digging and we don't want to start that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Catherine Elliott's got a few here that were, um, these are, these are good questions. So how does shelter choose the plants um, that are put in the containers and in the gardens? So is it, is it time spent to pre-plan the design or is it just based on the types of plants that are available? Uh, is it kind of a color of the year sort of theme? How do you do that? So when I do the designs for the annual beds, it takes me about two to three days. I have lots of pictures and books and I change up the color every year. I try and have different ideas. And I, my goal is to have it done before September 1st for the designs, because our grower, I have to give him the list by September 1st. So he knows what to buy, when to buy it, how to start it, things like that. So do the succulents and cactus plants go into a greenhouse over the winter or, or are they brought back later or are they hardy enough to, to stay outside all winter? There's only one or two varieties we leave out there that's hardy. The rest, we actually pull up and they go in our greenhouse. And they're in our greenhouse right now. We wait until the temps are above 50, including night temps. And then we will take them back out. And if people look close, we actually dig the hole and put the pot and plant in the ground. That way it's easy enough to pull it up. So it's, they don't like cold temps. So it's usually middle of May before they get out there. All right. Who, who takes care of the koi fish in the pond? I, I think I've seen this question before. People love the koi fish. And, and so who takes care of those and when do they come back? We take care of them. We have three 300 gallon tanks in our shop. And so when we pull them in, we divide them up and they go in the tanks. And every day we have to check the water and clean the filters and take care of them. Do you have names for them? No. No? Oh, come on, like Spot. Spot. I think that'd be a good name. You could call them all Spot, I think. No. Get too attached. <laughs> all right. What's the most popular photo spot for people that visit with a professional photographer, like for engagements or, you know, a senior picture, wedding photos? A lot of people like the gazebo or the waterfall. Now, early in the spring, we have those tulip designs that attract a ton of photographers out there. Um, they're bright, full of color, and great for pictures. Okay, so for the crew, what, what, when you guys, if you were to take a survey of the crew, what would be uh, their favorite places to care for in the grounds? I did ask them. <laughs> they said the gardens. They said it's very peaceful. There's a big selection of plants to take care of. 
Plus working out in the gardens, we know a lot of our regular walkers. And so especially retirees and things like that. And they get to know us. So that would be our favorite. All right. It would be my favorite too. It's peaceful <laughs> in there. Yeah, I like that. I live right in the middle of town, but you would not believe I can look back in my look out in my backyard some mornings and there there are eight or ten deer. So in the summer, I have, I've got host, I love hostas, got a lot of shade around my house. So I love hostas, but they love them too. So how do I keep them away from them? Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> so um, some people say you can spray hot pepper spray and you can buy that at like Home Depot Lowe's. The problem with that is every time it rains, you got to go out there and spray. I have a friend who actually has empty milk jugs he hangs up. So the movement on like fishing wire, like fishing line, the movement will scare them away. We, this year, I have seen deer tracks in the gardens and out, right outside the gardens while we were planting our pansies. And so I'm just waiting for the deer to realize that we have a ton of pansies we just put in, which are edible kale are edible and when the tulips start blooming we'll just wait and see because those are all edible too <laughs> <laughs> salad bar <laughs> yeah it's a smorgasbord out there now <laughs> well you know i'll share this with I, I didn't know if there's a better way i use a product called liquid fence this is not a commercial mm -hmm. for them um it the the and it, actually it's pretty effective if you keep up every couple of weeks and spray it if you've got soil that is, um, I know you talked about testing soil, but if you've got soil that you're just having trouble getting to grow in, what's the best thing to, to help make soil better for growing? Compost. We, uh, behind our shop, we started getting some compost from like the uh, cafeteria, eggshells, lettuce, things that were wasted, like in the trash. And then we would mix it in with our leaf material and grass clippings and stuff. And so we would use that compost in some of our flower beds and it, they grow a lot better. They really do. So thank you for joining us, Katrina. Really appreciate you coming on. That was a lot of questions and you got a lot of knowledge and glad to share that out with everybody that was curious. Brad, thank you for making this podcast happen, sir. Appreciate it every week. And I want to also thank everyone for listening. Now, I mentioned up the top of the show, if you have any ideas about topics that you want us to talk about, reach out to the show at podcast at shelterinsurance.com. While Shelter features experts in almost every area of the insurance industry, our workforce has experts in many other areas as well. Whether it's knowing how to put a podcast together or how to build and maintain one of the landmarks in mid-Missouri like Shelter Gardens, Shelter's employees create a company that is diverse and well-rounded. All of us together create products, services, and a working environment that people are proud of and excited to be a part of. That diversity of talent is just another way that we are shelter strong. <laughs>